If you turn with me to Zechariah chapter 14, please, Zechariah chapter 14. I want to look at this uh, just for a few minutes together. Uh, God in, in Zechariah chapters 12 through 14 is referencing Israel, or Jerusalem itself, being taken, Jerusalem being captured, Jerusalem being slaughtered. Many of the believers in Jerusalem there, Old Testament people, uh, Zechariah is saying, will, will fall by the sword. Now, when he's talking about Jerusalem, he's talking about the nation of Israel, we know it's prophetic and that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to come, he tells us in chapter 14, uh, in the midst of the battle. Now, Jerusalem has been conquered many times, many times in biblical history, and then, of course, in modern-day history. But in biblical history, Jerusalem has been captured many times. So what makes this so special? Well, because this is the last attack on Jerusalem. This is the last uh, destruction of the city of Jerusalem because Messiah will return. And we see that in Zechariah chapter 14. Notice in, uh, let's start in verse uh, 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. So this is the day of the Lord. This is the last day, the, ju the judgment time. But pick it up again in, in verse um, 2. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and etc. Skip down to verse 4. And his feet, who's this? The Messiah to come. His feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be claved in the midst of it. So this is referencing the, uh, the end-time event in when Messiah will return to earth to protect his nation of Israel and set up his millennial kingdom. The last time we were together, we saw that the first uh, chapters, 1 through 8, was the Medo-Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, against the nation of Israel. Uh, chapters 9 and 10 was the Grecian Empire. Eleven and twelve, uh, uh, Chapter 11, the Roman Empire, un under which uh, uh, Messiah was, in fact, killed. And now, verses uh, 12 through 14 will be the last empire to rule the known earth, Gentile Empire, and that is the Empire of Antichrist. And so when we're looking through the book of Zechariah, it behooves us to go back a little bit and just to, to see... The, the, the seriousness of this event and how does it take place? How does all this event take place? And we noticed it, was, it would take place with the Antichrist himself. I mentioned during the reign of Alexander the Great, Alexander did not destroy the city of Jerusalem. And, uh, and I said I, I did not know exactly why. There were some writings I looked at, but I was not sure. And uh, Doris Cole brought me a book... Uh, written by Dr. David Jeremiah, The Ancients of, of Babylon. And within that, he quotes from Josephus. Now, uh, Josephus Flavius, or Flavius Josephus, wrote, he was a, a biblical historian back in, um, in the first century time, and he wrote a four-volume, well, mine condensed into four-volume set, uh, the works of Flavius Josephus, and uh, what it is on the antiquities of the Jews. He wrote about Alexander the Great coming into, uh, this is information that he received, uh, verbal and, uh, in fact, uh, written information he received. He wrote about Josephus, I mean, I'm sorry, Josephus wrote about Alexander the Great coming into the city of Jerusalem and 
in fact, wanting to destroy the city. And I'll just read a little bit from what he says. Uh, Josephus uh, detailed the movement of Alexander the Great in significant detail, and his record of Alexander's decision not to capture and destroy Jerusalem is especially noteworthy. Alexander was making his way down the coast of Phoenicia, destroying all the cities uh, as he went along, leaving Gaza in ruins. So you know that where the Gaza Strip is today, it's under great scrutiny because it's under Palestinian authority and they fire missiles into Israel, into Jerusalem. Well, he was coming down the coastline, the Mediterranean coast, going all the way down Phoenicia, and then he got down and destroyed Gaza. And then he was going to head east across uh, the country to uh, Jerusalem itself and destroy it. So let me continue on. Uh, Alexander was making his way down the coast, and leaving Gaza in ruins, he moved his armies toward Jerusalem. Judah, the high priest in Jerusalem, heard this news and was understandably distraught. He called the people to fast and pray for God's protection. Now, here's where it gets a little hairy. Listen, please. God told Judah that they should adorn the, the city and open the gates and put on their final raiments and, out, and go out to meet Alexander as he neared the city. We don't know that. That's not recorded in the scriptures. Josephus says that Judah heard the voice of God in a dream, and God said, Go open the gates, adorn yourself and all the people with raiment. That sounds good, and that might have happened. It's, it's possible that that happened, but it's not biblically substantial. We, we, we can't substantiate it from the scriptures. So we know Alexander came to Jerusalem, and he could have destroyed the cities, which was his habit, but um, Josephus records this, and we do not know if, in fact, this is total biblical truth. You know, as a, I mean, total truth. Josephus has been known to exaggerate things. He's also been known to make up some things. So as a historian, we're not sure. Now, um, I don't recommend his reading through the history of Josephus. It's like wading through quicksand. Uh, but there are some interesting facts in there, and a lot of biblical scholars use it uh, as in quotation. Dr. Jeremiah did that, uh, but I'm sure Dr. Jeremiah would also say, we're not sure if, if, if he heard this voice, if Judah the high priest heard this voice from God, but anything is possible. At any rate, Alexander the Great did not destroy Jerusalem, which is very, very interesting, and I thank Doris for bringing this uh, to us. So that's a great possibility. But what, what has gone on now? Well, we've, uh, Zechariah has gone beyond way beyond now uh, the uh, Roman occupation and the Roman uh, dictatorship. And now he's going to go into the last days, or what we know to be the days of Antichrist, just prior to the Lord returning to set up his millennial kingdom. Now, we, we spent some time with that, and we went all the way back into the book of Daniel because that's where Daniel describes this man that's going to come in the last days to, in fact, destroy... Or, or make an effort to destroy the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. Now, in order to get just a little better picture on that, why he does this, how this last empire uh, is so dominant and, and under the person of Antichrist. Remember, he is the, uh, the uh, legs and feet of iron, iron and clay mingled together. The toes of the, uh, of, uh, the uh, Nebuchadnezzar's image are uh, depicted as, as uh, 
partly strong, partly weak. And then Daniel has a vision with these uh, beasts that come out of the, uh, out of the uh, earth. He sees uh, the last beast, which is, depicts the Roman Empire. And out of that comes ten horns and one little horn that speaks great swelling and blasphemous things against God. As a matter of fact, God allows him for a time to overcome the saints, the believers. And this is during the, the age that we know of. He allows him to destroy the believers. And it, it's fascinating to read the whole business. He is a, he is a man with great power. However, he has an incohesive or non-cohesive uh, army with him. That is, he, he destroys three nations, he takes over three nations, but then he has these seven nations that follow him, but it's not really a, a complete cohesiveness. And so as this Antichrist uh, begins his attack throughout the whole world, he wants world domination, he is a man just like we are. Uh, he is a, a person just like we are, but it, somewhere along the line, and we'll see this together, what happens is Antichrist now becomes satanically possessed, and that's when he takes on the nation of Israel. So to see that just a little clearer, and listen, this, this could take several months to look at, and since we don't have that, we're not going to take that much time. So we're going to fly through here and look at this person of Antichrist, and that's what Zechariah is writing about. That's who Zechariah is talking about. When the Lord Jesus comes back, he's going to destroy Antichrist right in his tracks. And so that's what we want to see, what Zechariah is referring to. How come it gets to this point? Now turn with me to Daniel chapter 9 for a moment, please. Daniel chapter 9. Now some of the guys were there on, uh, on Saturday morning. And we're going to rehearse a few things. And on Saturday mornings, when I'm teaching, we're looking at 2 Thessalonians, and we, we sort of ran into this. So we're going to rehearse a little bit of it. But guys, you hang on, and you'll see uh, some fairly new information that is new uh, as far as I'm, I'm uh, teaching tonight. Okay, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 are the paramount passages on the end times. They, they are it. All of Daniel combined together ends up really with this, this complete uh, picture in Daniel uh, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, where God now, through Daniel, is letting Daniel know that there's a time period. Everything is locked into a time period. Everything is settled. Remember, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. When was it time? It was God's time. Everything God does is during his time period. It's when he wants to do it. It's not dependent upon men. God has a program, a procedure, and he will accomplish everything he's going to accomplish in his time. So God lets Daniel know, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Now, when we read the word 70 weeks here, we won't get into it because it's, so, it's, it's, very, it's very precious to read. It's very interesting to read. And if you have a good study Bible or you have uh, perhaps a, a good commentary, he'll break down those weeks for you. But just let me say this, please. The passages that indicate this are what we know to be heptads. Seventy weeks or seventy periods of seven. Seventy periods of seven are determined, we'll see, upon thy people. Now, this seventy periods of seven weeks the word seven weeks uh, uh, 
a, a period of seven. Seventy times seven is 490. Now, the context determines whether it's days, weeks, or years. Days, weeks, or years. In our context, we're going to see it's periods of years. So 490 years are determined upon thy people. Now, whose people? It's the Jews, right? Seventy periods of seven are determined upon the Jews, thy people, Israel. This isn't referring to New Testament born-again believers. He's talking about Jews. Now, how do we know that? The context. Look, please. And upon thy holy city. What city is that? It's Jerusalem. So 70 periods of seven or 490 years are determined upon thy people and thy holy city. So we, God's whole program in this time period, his whole program is focused on the Middle East and one of the smallest nations in the Middle East, the nation of Israel, his chosen people, whom he has blessed, whom he has guided, whom he chose to accomplish his will. The place where he put his name, everything is focused upon them. And I'm afraid that many, many Christians, when they start reading the end times, they think the focus is on the church. We're not here. We're gone. God has removed us from the scene during the, what's called the Great Translation. Why? Because that's when he's going to begin pour his judgment out and his chastening upon the nation of Israel. He's going to bring them through the fire, he tells the nation of Israel. He tells the nation of Israel, it'll be a time of Jacob's trouble. Horrible time uh, in the book of Jeremiah. So we read about God now focusing on the Middle East, particularly Jerusalem. Why? Because the nations of the world are going to be gathered together against Jerusalem. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Uh, during uh, Israel's history, you know, of course, many nations have come to attack. The Seven-Day Wars, etc., uh, etc., et come to attack the nation of Israel. But God has sovereignly protected them. Why? They are his people, and he has a plan for his people. And what's going to happen? Well, I want you to notice, please, it's going to finish the transgression. Verse 24. Finish the transgression. It's interesting. It's to put an end to sin, literally. God is going to wipe out sin during this time period. He's going to set up his millennial kingdom. He's going to rule and reign on earth. Put an end of transgression. He will be the ruler and reigner on earth. People will try to get away with anything, but they will not be able to. They will be sovereignly judged by a holy God. Also, notice what's going to happen. And to make, reconcil uh, to make reconciliation for iniquity. What's that about? Well, God has a plan here in making reconciliation for iniquity. Literally, atonement for iniquity. His plan is there. He has atoned. He has paid the price of our sin uh, on, on planet Earth. He's done his work. He's finished. He's uh, risen to glory, uh, raised from the dead, and ascended up into glory. But this is going to take this atonement that he promised for the nation of Israel, and he's going to bring it right to Israel itself in full glory to make atonement uh, or make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. When our Lord Jesus Christ finishes setting up his millennial kingdom, everlasting righteousness will, will uh, progress into the new Jerusalem. God will take everything and move it into the new Jerusalem except for sin. 
and there will be no more sin on planet Earth. And then notice, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Who's the everlasting righteousness? Well, first of all, it's the righteous one himself, but he'll bring in this everlasting righteousness into his new Jerusalem. So God has a plan, and he's following Old Testament protocol that he wrote, following Old Testament plans that he planned, and he's going to bring it all to a full, and it's going to be right there in Jerusalem. That is the promise of God to all the Old Testament saints, all the Old Testament believers. This was God's promise. How long, Lord, I'm coming. How long I'm, I'm going to do my will. I'm going to do my work. And so when we're looking at this, we see God has this tremendous 490-year period of time. But how does it all fit together? Well, I won't be able to do it in the time we have, but look at verse 25. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth to the command to restore and to build, to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, and the streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. So it's, God is going to bring in Messiah, but I want you to notice that particularly rebuild Jerusalem and restore and rebuild the wall. Now we have a time clock ticking. When was the Jerusalem destroyed? It was destroyed, of course, under Babylon. It was restored again under Zerubbabel, God, God's perfect plan. God brought Zerubbabel back in. And then God calls Nehemiah in to rebuild the walls. God said, that's when the clock starts right there. That's when this time period begins. And notice verse 26, and after the three score in two weeks, 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So Messiah is going to come. Daniel prophesying Messiah. Uh, we have uh, Messiah coming in his first coming. Zechariah talks about Messiah coming in his second coming. So you have to look at the context and keep fitting it all in together. It's like a puzzle. It's not a mysterious puzzle that we don't know the picture of it. We have the complete picture in the word of God. But you need to fit the pieces in as, as God is doing this. Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. He doesn't come and die for himself. Why? Because he's perfect. Perfect son of God. But why did he come? He come to die for the sins of the whole world. So he's cut off, but it's not for himself. But what I want you to notice, please, in verse um, 26, again. And the people of the prince... That should come, shall destroy the city. The people of the prince that shall come. That's not a Roman general. That's not Titus Vespasian that came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. That's not him. Why? Because these are the people of the prince that should come. It's a different prince altogether. When Vespasian came and destroyed the, the city, that was under the prophecy of our Lord Jesus. See, the, see these buildings? Matthew chapter 24. Not one of them will be left standing. That was Vespasian coming. But he's not the prince that should come. That is the one who is the antichrist that should come. And you have to see that in the context. And what will happen? He will destroy the city and the end of it shall be with flood and the end of the end of the wars of desolation are determined. So God is going to bring in Titus, allow Titus to come in and destroy Jerusalem. 
But then we know that God is going to do some special work there in the nation of Israel. We have a, a unique time period, a unique period of time in which God is going to do something very unique. Now, General Titus destroyed the city, and it's not mentioned anywhere in the, in the New Testament epistles. Fascinating. Paul wrote about Jerusalem, did he not? He was there. John wrote about Jerusalem. He was there. But at, the city is destroyed, and no New Testament um, epistle writers wrote anything about it. Why? Can we say this? The city didn't matter anymore. It had turned so vile, it had turned against God, it had turned against the word of God. The Pharisees and Sadducees were some of the most pitiful leaders that ever led the nation of Israel. And God allowed the city to be destroyed, and God began to pick up in that time what we know to be the Gentile church. After the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ to glory, uh, resurrection and ascension up to glory, God begins the Gentile church. So essentially and effectively, God's plan for the nation of Israel, the clock stopped. The clock stopped. The battery was removed. No one has plug-in clocks anymore. The battery was removed. It stopped right there and it's, it, it's tracks. God had removed the battery and God said, I'm going to put it back in there later, but I have some people that I'm interested in. I have some people I'm going to deal with. And that's what we know to be the Gentile church, New Testament believers, you and I. Both Jew and Gentile, because Jews, the first group of believers that came to Christ were all Jews. All Jews. And then God sent his message throughout the world through an apostle named Paul and Barnabas. And they went to the Gentile nations. They went up into, uh, they went to every synagogue, and then they were rejected through synagogues. Paul went to Europe, over to Greece, for what purpose? To speak to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's plan for the nation of Israel, we have 483 years. God continues on, continues on, continues on. Finally, he pulls the plug or takes the battery out of the clock. Time stops for the Jews. They're in suspended animation right there. But God's going to work now, and he's working through what we know to be the Gentile church. So we want to look at this and bring this to... Uh, somewhat of a conclusion. What happens? Well, I want you to notice that God is going to seal up the vision. God's going to do something here. Pick it up in verse 27 now. Verse 27. Remember, this is the end of the war of desolations is determined. Verse 27. And he, who's the he? This is the prince that should come. This is the person of Antichrist. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, we know from the context that's a week of years, seven-year period of time, in which Antichrist is, in fact, going to set up and to, uh, to make a covenant with the people of Israel. Now, just for suggestion's sake, and I, and I only mention because of su for suggestion's sake because of time period, but for suggestion's sake, recognize that this Antichrist, he, he is a world leader somewhere. The scriptures in Daniel chapter 9 suggest a, a Syrian or Jordanian. I remember one time I was coming home very, very late from a meeting. And I was listening to a talk radio. And there was a, uh, 
an Israeli general on there, a an, an high-ranking Israeli officer, and one of the men that was interviewing him said, what nation do you fear? And right away, I could think of things, well, how about the Palestinian nations? Uh, you know, how, how about up in, in uh, Beirut, up in, uh, in that area? What, what about the, uh, the Jordanians? Who do you fear? And this general, this military man said, we fear the Syrians most of all. That's the nation we fear. I thought that was fascinating. Now, that doesn't mean the Antichrist is going to come from there, but recognize th there's, this, there's this path. He's either a Jordanian or a Syrian. We do not know that for sure. But what we do know this is God allows this Antichrist. He's, he's, he's buying for power here. He's looking. He's, he's conquered three nations. He's setting up his own power network here. He's setting up his own situation whereby he is going to... Um, to conquer the world. He wants to be a world dictator of some sort, but he doesn't have all the power he needs. Pick it up again, if you would, please, uh, in verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So he has a seven-year peace accord, peace treaty, that he signs with the nation of Israel. And what's that for? It's for giving them peace. Now, we say, well, what's this all about? Antichrist? Befriending Israel? Well, yes. And you know, I'm all for that. And you know, I'm all for it. I'm very happy that this president is, is, uh, is looking at Israel as one of our allies, as one of, uh, uh, one of our protectorates, where, whereby we're going to protect them and help them. I'm very happy with that. But just because a man says that and means that doesn't mean that's what he's going to end up doing. Realize that. He, our president, though I do not believe it's so, our president could turn against the nation of Israel. He could do that. Every president of the, any United States, any other dictator, any country of the world could turn against Israel at any time. And that's exactly what many have done. And this is what Antichrist is going to do. For three and a half years, he, he is faithful to the nation of Israel. He's their protectorate. There's a couple of examples of that. Turn with me, please, to the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. God talks about in, this in his word in several places. And I want to show you one example. In Ezekiel chapter 38, please. Ezekiel 38. To put this chronologically, this is the, uh, the, um, this, the nation of, of what we know to be Russia today. And conglomerates around Russia, which turn to, out to be uh, mostly Islamic now, around uh, Russia itself. And Russia and these Islamic nations, these nations around Russia, if it was to happen in modern day times, which it very well could, uh, they decide they're going to attack the nation of Israel. That's their plan. That's their procedure. They want to attack Israel, and the reason they want to attack them is varied. There's various reasons. Warm water seaports, potassium potash from the Dead Sea, uh, you name it, it's there. They, they're looking to attack uh, the nation of Israel. And God said, when is that going to happen? When will this happen? Well, look at Ezekiel 38. Look at verse uh, 8. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many peoples against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but now is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Well, this is a time period in which the nation of Israel will... will uh, 
in the latter days, the last days, those end days, the days that we know of, when the nation of Israel will be at peace. I want you to see that. Uh, look at verse 11. And thou shalt say, God's talking about these uh, northern nations that are going to come and attack Israel. And thou shalt say, I will go up into a land of unwalled villages, and I will go up into those who are at rest, who dwell safely, all of them, dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. He's talking about the nation of Israel here. They're at peace. My friends, if you travel to Israel today, they're anything but at peace. There's a calm, but they're always on knife's edge. They build walls everywhere. So Donald Trump said, if you don't think walls work, go to Jerusalem. <laughs> There's walls everywhere to keep out people from coming in, blowing up and bombing things. There's guards everywhere. There's guard shacks everywhere you go. Uh, you, you, you drive down to the Dead Sea along, uh, you used to be able to drive down to the Dead Sea uh, along the Jordan River. Now the West Bank protrudes out into the nation of Israel. But as you drive along, there's tanks. They're sitting there across the road from each other, two tanks. Like from here across Elmwood Ave, there's, there's, there's an there's a Israeli tank and there is a Syrian tank or a Jordanian tank. They're all aiming at each other. They're not at peace. They haven't been at peace and they won't be at peace until this man, Antichrist, signs a peace accord with them. And they'll be at peace. And what's going to happen? Well, the, this Russian nation, it is definitely Russia, uh, Gog from Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, these, these nations from Russia, as they go to invade, God's going to destroy them in the mountains of Israel. But what I want you to point out to you is that there, there's a time period when Israel is going to be at peace with unwalled villages. No, no worries. Why? Antichrist has signed an accord with them. Antichrist has signed a peace agreement with them. Antichrist said he would protect them, and they are in fact protected. They're in fact at peace. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> All the way there, please. Matthew chapter 24. You, we have <clears throat> been reading about this in the book of Matthew. In chapter 24, we notice that in 24, our Lord Jesus is talking about what we know to be the end times, the end days. When will these things be, as disciples said, and what shall be the sign of thy coming? and of the end of the age, the last days. When is all this going to happen, Lord Jesus? Well, he tells us, uh, tells them that they need to recognize the, the, what's going to unfold. Now, it's so interesting, and we won't take a great time to look at this, but he does not give an absolute time, but he gives a relative time. When you see these things happening, it's a relative. When you see the fig leaves, Relative time. So it's all relative. It's not absolute. Uh, it will happen on December 2nd, 19-something, or, or 2000-something. He doesn't say that. What he says is it will happen when you see these things unfolding before you. And we pick it up in uh, Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse uh, 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. So during the last days, the last time period, Israel is going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, and there'll be earthquakes and pestilences, and there'll be things going on, but that's not, they're not worried about that. 
That's not a problem for them. Why? Because it does not affect them. They're at peace. They're all set during that time period. Things are going along why? well. Why? Because Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, Antichrist has signed an accord with them. He's protecting them. He's giving them everything they need. However, Daniel 9, 27, in the midst of the week, he breaks the covenant with them. He breaks it. Three and a half years, 1260 days, 42 months, he breaks the covenant with them. Why? Why would this, how can this happen? Why would he break the covenant with them? Well, turn with me to the book of the Revelation, chapter 13. <clears throat> the book of the Revelation in chapter 13. Why would he break a covenant with the nation of Israel? What, what in the world is all this about? In Revelation chapter 13, as you put the puzzle, the piece of the puzzle together, I want you to see how this works. In the book of the Revelation in chapter 13, John has a vision. This is very similar to Daniel's vision of these beasts. And notice what we have in, in Revelation chapter 13 of verse uh, 1. And I stood upon the sands of the sea. At this point, John is in the Aegean Sea between um, Asia and uh, between um, uh, Greece, right down there, and, and uh, what we know to be the island of Patmos. And as, as John is there, he's looking out over the sea. Remember, Daniel saw his vision of, of animals coming up out of water. And John said, And I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. What did Daniel see? Well, Daniel saw four beasts, did he not? He saw the first beast was a lion, one. Then he saw a, uh, a bear, two. And then he saw a, uh, a leopard with four heads. Two and four is what? I knew you were awake. Good, thanks. Six, six, six. But then he saw a nondescript beast. It was that horrible and terrible beast, seven, seven heads. And remember the, seven, the, the last beast had ten horns, remember that? And see, that's, this is exactly what Daniel, I mean, uh, John sees. As a matter of fact, he describes it for us, verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and it had feet like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his authority. In case you're wondering who the dragon is, please look back at chapter 12 for a minute. Keep your hand there. In chapter 12 and verse 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael fought his angel. Uh, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his uh, fought and his angels. Verse 8. And prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon cast out was cast out the old serpent, which is called the devil and Satan. So if you have any questions who the dragon is, just go back to chapter 12. It'll point it out for you very, very nicely. That this dragon, Satan himself, is giving power to the Gentile nations. Every Gentile nation of the world is under the dominance of Satan. Every single one, including ours, under the complete dominance of Satan. Why? Because he is the prince of the power of the air. 
He's a spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. He's the one that controls the world system we read in 1 John. The whole world lies in the hands of the wicked one, Satan himself, or the wicked. And so back to chapter 13 now, we see the dragon gives him his power and his authority, and he has great authority. But what I want you to notice is out of these heads, these heads that are, that are part of this beast, and out of the horns comes, remember, the little head. Great little horn in his head, speaking great swelling words of vanity against God. And as you, as you continue through the book of Daniel, you see that that little horn has tremendous power. And then his statement, not his own power. It's not his own. He has abilities. He's a powerful man. He's probably a great dictator because he's controlled three nations of the world and he's seeking to destroy more or take more over. But in the midst of that, something devastating happens to him. Pick it up, please, in verse, uh, verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as though it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So we have this deadly wound, and I'm going to suggest that the, the head that was wounded was none other than the Antichrist himself, and I'll show you that in a moment. The Antichrist is wounded, so uh, some type of assassination takes place, so we send in some of our seals or something like that, and wherever this dictator is, someone puts the crosshairs on him and squeezes the trigger and obliterates his head. And then what happens? The next day, he shows up on the scene again. The next day, he's available. I just made up the part, crosshairs, okay? His head is wounded. We do not know. We do not know how this happens, but recognize some kind of deadly wound takes place. And for all practical purposes, he should be dead. There's no way that this man can possibly be alive. There's no way he could have survived this. And notice, please, in verse 3, and I saw one of his heads as though it were wounded unto death, and his deadly wound was healed, and the whole world wondered after the beast. Now, how could a whole world see this? Do you have a computer? I remember a good friend of mine, Dr. J.O. Percy, a great, as far as I'm concerned, one of the greatest Bible expositors. I, I love the guy dearly. He used to say when he was young, now he died... Um, several years ago, maybe 15 years ago, he died and he was in his 90s. And he said when he first became saved, when he was a young man, there was no television. No television now. And what everyone used to wonder, what does this mean the whole world can see? The whole world will view it. The whole world will be there. How, how can this happen? They had no clue how any of this could happen. Well, I could tell them how. There's sites, I mentioned this to you before, there's sites on the computer that you can watch the Wailing Wall in live right now in Jerusalem. You can see these things going on. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. But the whole world wonders. This guy was shot or stabbed or whatever it was, and his head is wounded. It's either a, a terrifying bodily wound or head destroyed, whatever it is. And notice verse 4, and they worship the dragon. The dragon, Satan, and they worship the dragon who gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? And who is able to make war with him? At this point, 
and I'm going to suggest to you and show you why, this is the midpoint of the Great Tribulation period. Three and a half years have come, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, and pestilences. Remember the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse? They coincide with what Matthew 24 says. Along comes a white horse, remember that? And, and th this white horse is a warrior. He goes to making war and conquering. And from him, from the result of him, are these wars and pestilences and all this business. This is God allowing or working his will and using Antichrist and using Satan to accomplish his perfect will. And in the middle of this week, three and a half years in, obviously the dragon gives power to the beast. He, now Daniel chapter, Dan, the book of Daniel now comes to pass. He, he's powerful, but it's not his own power. Something fantastic is happening here. Now continue on, please, in verse 5. And it was given unto him, Antichrist, a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and 2 months, 42 months, three and a half years. During the Great Tribulation period, he's, he's, uh, he is, in fact, uh, killed, nearly killed, Satan gives him his power, and during that time period, right then at that time period, he breaks the covenant with Israel. And now for 42 months, the Lord Jesus said, Turn, keep your hand here, we're coming back. Head with me, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 24 again. Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, we're back there again. I want you to notice, please, <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus is talking about, remember what's going to happen now. People are going to come in their own name, etc., etc., and deceive many. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Famines, earthquakes, uh, in various places. But these, verse 8, are the beginning of sorrows. This is the initial stages of what theologians call labor pains. This is the initial stages. They start off, it starts off small. Starts off small. But then what? Then they increase and build in pain. And so what we have here is it's starting off small. It's not, it's not a picnic, understand. This is the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation period. So things are tough. Things are tough on the nations. But Israel seems to be at peace. Israel seems to be not shaken by what's going on. These are all the beginning of sorrows. But notice, verse 9, then, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and, shall, and you shall be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Everyone's going to turn against Israel. Why? That's where a demonic or satanically filled antichrist heads for the nation of, of Israel to destroy the coming Messiah. He knows that his time is short. He can read. He doesn't believe. He thinks he can stop Christ from returning. But he knows that the Christ is going to return. Why? It's prophesied. It's promised in the scriptures. Remember there was a war in heaven, chapter 11. He's kicked down to earth now. He cannot dwell in heavenly places. He has to take uh, uh, Uber somewhere. So if you're an Uber driver, be careful if you get a call. He has to take Uber somewhere. Why? Because he's restricted to earth. And all demons, every demon everywhere, 
satanic or, or small de demons everywhere look to indwell a human body. The scriptures are very plain with that. A demon leaves a man and he goes out into dry places. They're always looking to indwell a body. They're looking to uh, personally indwell someone. And it could be a 2,000 demons in one case or one demon in another. But they're always looking. And Satan at this time indwells this world leader and turns against the nation of Israel. He breaks the covenant in the midst of the week. And what does the Lord Jesus say? Pick it up in verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Now we're going to have to stop here because we're out of time. And this is where we'll try to pick it up and finish it next time we're together. But recognize that when you shall see the abomination that maketh desolate, stand in the holy place. The holy place, I'm going to suggest to you, is in fact the city of Jerusalem and the temple that's there. Very interesting. If you go to 2 Thessalonians, you read about this Antichrist, the, the son of perdition that should come. It says that he, standing in the temple of God, in the temple of God, literally there will be a temple back in Jerusalem. It doesn't have to be ornate. It doesn't have to be like a, a Solomon's temple or Herod's temple. It doesn't have all there needs to be is a place of worship there where they'll do sacrifice. That's all that needs to be. But Antichrist is going to go in there during that time period, and he is going to set up an image. Now, we will not take time to look at that now. But he's going to set up an image in there and desecrate that, that new temple that's dedicated to God. He's going to desecrate it. Now, a type of this happened when uh, Epiphanes came. And he conquered Jerusalem, and it is said, the Syrian, uh, Syrian uh, general uh, Epiphanes came, he conquered Jerusalem, and he in fact sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple. And of course, he was overthrown. But that was a type of this action that happened. This is the end days, the last days, and this is the person of Antichrist. He's going to set up an image in that temple, and that image will have abilities and powers. And remember in the book of 2 Thessalonians, Satan, Antichrist, will come with signs and lying wonders, abilities to do some things that the world, and the world will fall prey to it. Most of the known world will fall prey to Antichrist at that time. He will behead Christians. He will kill believers, uh, many believers apparently, uh, if they won't receive what we know to be the mark of the beast. So, what happens back in Zechariah? Why? Why is all this? What, God allows Jerusalem to be taken right down to the last few people in the great city of Jerusalem. And then God says to Zechariah, I'm going to give them power like David had. David must have been something else. I can just picture David swinging his sword in battle. He was a vicious, vicious fighter. God said, you can't build a temple. Your hands are bloody. <laughs> David was such a warrior for the Lord. And he's going to give power to these people like David had. And then they're going to look, when Messiah comes to protect the nation, they're going to look on him whom they have pierced and mourn. So that's what Zechariah is talking about. Well, why was the city taken? Well, because God is going to allow the person of Antichrist to come on the scene and do his job. And then God is going to take him out and all of his followers, and they'll be cast in hellfire forever and ever. 
We need to stop here, Lord willing. We'll start there, and then we'll go back to our book of Zechariah to give us a little bit more understanding. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your revealed truth. Thank you for this word. Lord, we know that as we look at this, it, it can be somewhat confusing as we put the puzzles together. Sometimes, Lord, we fit them in the wrong places. Sometimes we pound in pieces of the puzzle. Lord, help us not to do that, but help us to be discerning, looking at the passages, looking at the references from Old Testament. It's all about thy holy city, thy people, uh, Israel. We know, Father, that the picture is beautiful. We have been removed with a parenthesis that is now gone uh, during that time period. We're in heaven with you. You have kept us from the hour of judgment to come upon the whole world. Father, we thank you for that. We pray that you'd help us, help us to, to look at the scriptures, to recognize the procedure, and to realize that we have but limited time to speak of you to our friends and our loved ones. Thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.